to Wisdom of the Masters, Hasidic Parsha Pearls. I'm your host, Gavriel Horan. And as always, we're going to explore a teaching of a different Hasidic master on the weekly Torah portion. And it is uh, that's our endeavor for the year to try to take wisdom out from, instead of uh, provide, sharing my own novel insights, I want to share someone else's insights with you this year. So today, I'm very excited to share with you a beautiful teaching from a great Hasidic master by the name of Avram Dov Ben David Arbach of Avaritz. Avram Dov Arbach is most famously known as the Bas Ayin, the name of his book. Bas Ayin means like the pupil of the eye. And he was a Hasidic Rebbe in Poland for something like 40 years in the late 1700s, early 1800s. He was a student of Rav Levi Yitzchak Habraditschev, the famous Kedushas Levi, who we've quoted before, who was a student of the Magad of Mezrich, who was a student of the Baal Shem Tov. And so this is the fourth generation Hasidic master. At one point, he, he longed to move to Israel. He wrote uh, his Sefer, this manuscript for the Basayan in Europe, and he refer- refused to have it published in Europe. He didn't want it to be uh, impurified by the the unholy air of Europe, and he waited till he arrived in, in Israel to have it printed. And he actually moved to Israel and was planning on going to Jerusalem, to Yerushalayim, but the community of Sfas begged him to come spend the holidays with him, the high holidays, which he did, and then he was very taken by the simple faith of the people of Sfas, and he decided to stay. And he really essentially started a new wave of Hasidic Jews moving from Europe in the 1800s to, to the holy city of Sfas and started a new settlement there. Um, he Just a couple of stories about his life. When he was in Europe, there was once a charity collector who came from Israel, and he told him about the incredible um, uh, holiness of the land of Israel and how special it was to live here, there. And he said that the stones of Israel, the stones on the ground, shimmer like precious jewels. And when the Basayan arrived in Sfas, you know, he, he bumped into this charity collector and he said, you know, everything you said about the land of Israel is true, except what you said about the stones. They look like regular stones to me. And the charity collector turned to me and said, only those with totally pure eyes can see it. So the Rebbe was taken aback. He was uh, a very holy man himself. He was a leader uh, of, of hundreds of followers. And, uh, and he, he, so he took those words to heart and he locked himself in a room for either several days to as long as a year. I saw different opinions. And when he finally came out, he made a celebrational feast. And he said that it's true. The land, stones of the land of Israel shimmer like precious jewels. And I merited to be able to see that now. Um, a famous story told about him is that there was an earthquake that decimated Sfas in 1836, and at the time of the earthquake, uh, he was standing in his synagogue with his followers, and he said to them, quickly, everyone, come to me, and everyone ran to him. They were standing at the bima, at the table where the Torah Torah is read from, and they grabbed onto him, and he actually threw himself on the floor and started praying, and the entire, almost every building in Sfas was destroyed, uh, with the exception of two synagogues, and his synagogue, 
the entire thing collapsed except for the air, the, the, the dome directly above where they were standing. It was the only thing that survived. Um, at the end of his life, there was a plague that um, affect, that killed hundreds of people in Svas. And unfortunately, the Rebbe himself contracted the plague. And he said to his followers that he was giving up his life in order to end the plague and that he would be the last person to die from the plague. And that's, that's exactly what happened after he passed away. The plague ended and he passed away on the 12th of Kislev, just a few weeks ago in the Hebrew calendar. And there's a custom to make a Suda, a, a meal in honor of his Yurtzeit. And because he didn't have any children. So normally, typically people make a, a meal they light candles, they say Kaddish, and they learn Torah in memory of their departed relatives, and that's a merit for the soul of that person. But since he didn't have any children, there's nobody to do that. So there's a tradition to make a suda in his honor, and it's based on a story that took place many years ago that he actually appeared to someone in a dream and asked them to make a meal for him. And there's countless, countless stories of people who have incredible miracles in their life in the merit of having done these meals. I actually read about that this year. And in order to affect uh, something that I've been praying for, I sponsored two meals, one in Israel and one in Brooklyn I helped sponsor. And we also made one in our house and also participated in one in the community. And I believe that we had we saw a miracle in our own life. And I, I really attribute it to the greatness of this Rebbe and his ability to... Uh, perform, uh, you know, help affect miraculous things through his influence in the, in the higher realm. So I want to share with you a piece of Torah from, from the Bas Ayan on this week's Parsha. So in this week's Parsha, um, Yehuda, the fourth son of Yaakov, goes and gets married and gives birth to three sons, Er, Onan, and Shelah. And he marries his old, his first son, heir to a woman named Tamar. Now, Tamar is the daughter of Shem, according to many opinions. Shem is the son of Noah, of Noah. And so his first son marries Tamar, and they don't have children, and then heir passes away, son passes away. So there's something called Yibum. Yibum in English is translated as Leverite marriage, where uh, in, according to Torah law, if uh, someone doesn't have children before they pass away. So if there's a brother, so there's a mitzvah for the brother to marry that wife and continue the legacy of that um, of that brother who passed away without children. And it's tied into the idea of reincarnation that now the soul of that brother is going to come back through that through that union. It, there's a lot to be said about it. So. Yehuda then takes Tamar and marries her off to his next son, Onan. And again, Onan passes away without having children. So now he has a third son. What does he do? So Tamar is now bound to marry, uh, according to the, the law, to marry the next son, Shelah, who's young at the time. But she begins to suspect that maybe Yehuda's not planning on marrying her off to his next son because Yehuda obviously is suspect. Perhaps he's going to die too. Maybe she's just bad luck. And uh, maybe maybe I shouldn't marry off my son to her. But Tamar, on the other hand, has prophetic vision that she's supposed to give birth to children through Yehuda's offspring. 
and that those children are going to become incredible leaders of the Jewish people. In fact, the forebe- uh, Tamar is the great-grandmother of King David. So Tamar does something crazy, a story which needs to be explained, and there's a tremendous amount to be said about this story. But uh, at face value sounds a little bit strange to us. Tamar dresses up as a harlot, and she essentially seduces her father-in-law, Yehuda, which, of course, she's not a father. A man, a man is not allowed to have a relationship with his daughter-in-law. Uh, but she 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 takes matters into her own hands, and she does this act. And three months later, the Torah says, Yehuda notices that she's pregnant, and is, of course assumes that she committed adultery. So the law is that if uh, a, a woman commits adultery, she's uh, the death penalty. And especially in a case like this, where she's the daughter of a priest, shame was a Kohen. And so he says, bring her out to be burned at the stake. And then Tamar says, um, Tamar says, I am pregnant from the one who gave me these. And she takes out a seal, a, a ring with which you stamp a seals with, and pasilim, which are, is a cloak, which he gave her as collateral for her services when he thought she was a prostitute, the hamata and the staff, which he gave her. So he gave her these three things when, as when she was a harlot, when he thought she was a harlot, and, and as collateral for payment. And then later he sent his friend back to pay her, but they couldn't find her because she wasn't there anymore. And so she had these three things, and she said, "I am pregnant from the person who gave me these three things. Recognize them." And Yehuda looks at them and he says. She's right. She became pregnant from me because I didn't give her my son, Shayla. And she was not burned. And there are different opinions of either if he, he himself married her or if he did not marry her. And um, she gave birth to twins, Peretz and Zarach. And Peretz went on to become the four benefits, the grandfather of King David, who is the forebearer of Mashiach, of the Messiah. So Tamar saw that she was supposed to give birth to a child through Yehuda, and she took matters into her own hand, whether it was right or not. What she did, um, something great came out of that, which is King David and eventually the Mashiach. So says the Bas Ayin, let's, let's read his words together inside. Says the Basayan, it was after three months, and Yehuda said, Tamar, and they said to Yehuda, Tamar was unfaithful. She committed adultery. So says the Rizal that Hanukkah is the final day of judgment for the year after Rosh Hashanah. So according to the Torah, according to the Talmud's understanding, of the Torah, Rosh Hashanah is the day of judgment when the whole world is judged for the next year, what will happen in the next year. And according to Kabbalah, that judgment is extended until Hoshana Rabbah, which is the last day of Sukkot, which is also a big day of, of prayer 
And according to the Arizal, it's even extended all the way until Hanukkah. And Hanukkah is really the final day that you can change your judgment for the year. So Hanukkah is three months after Rosh Hashanah. That is the end of the of the sealing of your judgment for the year. And therefore, says the Basayan, there are forces that try to, to say bad things about you and bring evil decrees upon you for the things you've done wrong so far this year. So Yehuda in this story is a metaphor for God. Yehuda is the king. Yehuda is the king of the of the Jewish people come from Yehuda. And these forces come to Yehuda, come to God, and they say, look, the Jewish people has committed adultery. They might have been very holy on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur and said they were going to do great things and, and accepted all sorts of things upon themselves. But look what's happened. They've fallen from their high level and they've gone and they've worshipped other gods. They've gone and done things that were wrong. They've spoken badly. They've committed all sorts of sins. And they should be burned. They don't deserve to live. So, says the Jewish people in response, they say to God, here, take a look. Really, all I want is to be connected to you. My true inner desire is connected, is to be connected to, to the Creator. And sometimes because of the stress of life, of earning a living, and of getting through the day, and because of my, my bodily desires, I sometimes fall away from my true desire to be connected to God. But the truth is, on the deepest part of me, I'm just, all I want is, is my relationship with God. And Tamar says to Yehuda, take a look at these three items that were given to me as collateral. Can you recognize them? And what are they? They're a signet seal, they're a cloak, and a staff. Says the Basayan, these three things are allusions to the to Hanukkah. The chasima is the seal refers to the jar of oil, which was found at the time of the Hanukkah story. The Hashmanayim defeated the Greeks and they found one seal of oil that was stamped with the seal, the chasima, the same word, of the Kohen Gadol, of the high priest. And that was un, untouched, a pure jug of oil. And then the Pasilos, which is, Pasilim is a cloak, but that refers to the Pasilos, which is the wicks of Hanukkah, same word, of the Hanukkah candles that we light. And the Mata, the staff, is a reference to the vessel, the, the, the menorah or the Hanukkah or the cups that hold the oil. As he points out that the word Mata is the same gematria Numerical value is the word kli, which is a vessel. So says the Jewish people to, to God, 
look at the Hanukkah candles. The Hanukkah candles reveal that our true inner desire is just to do God's will. And although we fall sometimes, it's not a real us. And Yehuda, who, who represents the Creator, says it's true. I, I did this. I'm guilty, so to speak. I'm the one that put into them the challenges of their life. I gave them the Yetzirah, the evil inclination. I put them in a world that's so hard. And sometimes they fall. I take responsibility for that. And it's because I didn't give them, give her to Sheila, to Sheila Bani. I didn't give them to my, give Tamara to my son, Yehuda says. What does that mean? Says the Basayin, Sheila is the name of Yehuda's son, but it's also a reference to Mashiach. The Torah calls in the blessing that Moshe gives Yehuda, actually, the tribe of Yehuda, he says that the scepter will not depart from Yehuda, meaning Yehuda will remain the king of the Jewish people, Ad Kiyavo Shiloh, until Shiloh comes. Who's Shiloh? Shiloh is a is a an, an acronym is a is a um, is a a word that refers to Mashiach, and it's the same word as Shela, similar word as Shela, the son of Yehuda. So until Mashiach comes, um, Yehuda will remain the leaders of the Jewish people, and essentially. Yehuda is saying that it's my fault that Tamar went and did this because I didn't give her my son. So in the metaphor, Hashem is saying, it's my fault that that the Jewish people sin. It's because I didn't bring Mashiach and life is so hard for them. So in, in, in summary, it's a beautiful idea that when Hanukkah is a holiday that every Jew participates in, even Jews that are far from Judaism, even Jews who are essentially not religious celebrate Hanukkah. Why? Because Hanukkah is a holiday that shows that despite the impurity around us, despite the fact that we fall, there's one jar of oil that remains pure, untouched, sealed by the seal of the Kohen Gadol, the high priest, the creator. And that jar represents the deepest part of our soul, that in the depth of our soul, we, we remain pure. There, remain, there remains a spark of oil, a piece of oil, a piece of, of beauty within each and every one of us. And Hanukkah is a time when we can access that spark within. And when we connect to Hanukkah and we light those candles, then everything else is forgotten. Whatever we might have done wrong in the year goes away. That's the message of Hanukkah. And this whole story of Tamar and Yehuda, as, as strange as it sounds, is really a story of the fact that sometimes we have to go through darkness in order to bring out the greatest light. That's really the message of Hanukkah. Tamar had to do this crazy act, but ultimately the goal was to bring Mashiach, that she knew that Mashiach was meant to come through her. Because sometimes in order to bring great things into the world, it has to come through the back door, through something that is seemingly wrong. And that's really the story of our history, that we have to go through darkness as a nation, as a world, in order to bring about the ultimate redemption, which is coming, which is almost here. That's the story of Hanukkah, is lighting up the darkness, the lights that are in the darkness, that within each and every one of us, we have tremendous light. We just have to access it. I'll conclude with a story of a, a great 
uh, someone came to a Hasidic master. There was a person in, in Europe at the time who was a Jew who was constantly informing on other Jews to the government and saying all sorts of libels about them in order to get Jews in trouble with the government in Poland. And someone once wrote down this Jew's name to bring it to the Rebbe, the uh, B'nai Saskar, I believe, was a great Hasidic master, and he wanted the Rebbe to, they wanted the Rebbe to actually pray that this person should pass away. They, 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 he was causing so much trouble to the Jews. And they brought his name to the Rebbe on Hanukkah. And the Rebbe looked at the name and the Rebbe said, this man is one of the most holy people in the world. He's completely pure. Why would you say anything bad about him? They couldn't believe it. Like this man was an evil person who was single-handedly guilty for all sorts of tragedies. So someone went and found out that at that moment that they showed the man's name to the Rebbe, the man was lighting Hanukkah candles. That's how the power of Hanukkah, that's the power to remove all the evil decrees against us and all the things we've done wrong and literally give us a fresh start and almost a, a new year. Once again, the last chance for us to get ourselves the best possible outcome for this year is the holiday of Hanukkah. So I want to bless you all with a beautiful Shabbos and a beautiful Hanukkah. And we should all be blessed to see the lights in the darkness speedily. This learning is devoted in the, in the merit of the Bas Ayin, the Rav Avram Dov Ben David. We should all have... Uh, good things, and especially in the Rufus Lema, uh, for for Pinchas, Pinchas David, Ben Rachel Livia, and wishing you all good things. Thank you for listening.